College Hoops Mania Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm back to talk more college basketball with you guys today, as we'll be looking at some major headlines and some big results that we've seen in the previous days, as well as the big games that we have ahead of us this weekend. First off, I'm going to touch on Keontae Johnson, just to give you guys a little update on what's going on with him, because as you guys all know, he collapsed in the Florida State game the previous Saturday. It was a very scary thing where, you know, he was just walking after a timeout and he just collapsed and passed out on the floor and remained unconscious for a while and it was a very scary time for the preseason SEC player of the year and everybody in the college basketball world honestly is. Prayers were being sent up for him everywhere across the country but there is positive news on him because he is now stable and is no longer in critical condition. He has FaceTimed his team which is awesome to see that Keontae is now conscious and you know being able to communicate with other people. As a result of what happened, Florida has decided to cancel the rest of its non-conference slate, which is three games. But yeah, Florida will not be playing for a little bit here due to the incident and accident that happened to Keontae. Another big headline, on Wednesday at around 5 o'clock, the transfer rule got changed. So now all transfers will be immediately eligible to play this season which uh, affects uh, quite a few people. As I touched on in the previous podcast, Jim Laranega, Miami's head coach, was very frustrated with the NCAA being so late to this because he is, you know, he's faced a lot of injuries this year and he's been short on scholarship players. And he had a transfer from Stony Brook, Elijah Oliani, who has not played yet and because he wasn't, able, he wasn't eligible to play due to the transfer rule. But now that that got changed, Oliani was able to be plugged into the starting lineup for Miami on Wednesday where Laranega started him, actually. So yeah, that's just one example. There's more players, many teams that are affected by this rule. But overall, it's a good thing for college basketball. I mean, this rule is going to get changed permanently in the future anyway. And in a year where everyone retains their eligibility after this year, if they wish to, Yeah, it was smart for the NCAA and a good thing for them to change the transfer rule for this year. Virginia and Gonzaga. Virginia and Gonzaga decided to schedule a a matchup with each other the day after Christmas. A four o'clock game that day. But yeah, Virginia has been in isolation or has been on pause for a little bit here. And so they have not been playing basketball for a little while. They had their Villanova game canceled, uh, which would have been played tomorrow. So yeah, Virginia got another big matchup in Gonzaga the day after Christmas they'll be playing each other however on Wednesday Duke got back on track where they won in South Bend and beat Notre Dame by 10 points where they really controlled the game the whole way but in a time where Duke you know people have been questioning them fans have been panicking about the team across the country Duke got to three and two with a pretty impressive victory in South Bend where they controlled the game the whole way and looked phenomenal and not to mention just playing phenomenally, they also played without arguably their best player, Jalen Johnson, because he's out indefinitely right now with a foot injury. And so Duke looked really good on Wednesday night. Duke kind of found a new identity, it seemed, where they're going to try to slow it down. And, you know, instead of Duke playing fast like we see most years with their athletes and, you know, using their athleticism to their advantage, they played really slow on Wednesday, and it seemed to benefit them, where they would use a lot of the shot clock and and still get shots they wanted, it allowed them to control the tempo and do the things that they wanted to. Jeremy Roach, Goldwire, DJ Stewart, they all played phenomenally. It was good to see the Duke backcourt step up, make some shots for them as they have struggled from the three-point line this year, and the guards have just struggled offensively in general, efficiency-wise. You know, 
other than Matthew Hurt, Jalen Johnson's had some some positives for Duke this year. Other than those two guys, it's been up and down for the rest of the team. But yeah, Jeremy Roach, uh, Jeremy Roach, I think only missed one shot in the game. Goldwire showed his offensive ability, which he has pretty much never shown in his career at Duke. And DJ Stewart hit big shots down the stretch for them, where he, I believe, he scored about like 13 points in the second half for them. Yeah, it was really, it was really interesting to see Duke play slow like that because we're so not used to seeing that. It was also interesting to see how Duke would, you know, they would kind of get hurt in ISOs and hurt would just go one-on-one on people and he was extremely efficient. It was really encouraging to see for a Duke team that was in trouble honestly recently because hurt would get the ball and you know he would kind of he would back it down a little bit and if you decide to double then you'd kick it back out and Duke was making shots on Wednesday so it was harder to you know step off of people with when you got Jeremy Roach, you got DJ Stewart, you got Jamin Brakefield knocking down threes makes it a little more difficult to defend Hurt. So Hurt was able to get a lot of openings and kind of just go one-on-one backing down and taking his fadeaway jumper. That's so hard to defend. Getting past the Duke result, however, Kansas also had a major win on Thursday night in Lubbock where they beat Texas Tech 58-57. And it was a defensive battle and a lot of the game, you know, looked very ugly. Not a lot of scoring, a physical game where Team just really couldn't put the ball in the basket, but Kansas found a way. In an up-and-down game where they had leads, you know, Texas Tech went on a little run and they'd get down. They found a way to get out of Lubbock with a win. And it was really impressive to see Ochai Abaji just continue to establish himself. And he is kind of looking at looking like the guy that Kansas is going to go to down the stretch of games. Because Abaji just, you know, he would answer at big moments for Kansas last night. And it's against a defense that's very difficult. Texas Tech rates number one in Ken Palm. And Kansas has a great defense, too, where they also are sixth in Ken Palm in defense efficiency. The struggles for Kansas seem to be with David McCormick, where when David McCormick was on the floor last night, Kansas really struggled. And part of it is a product of Texas Tech being so small. I mean, Marco Santos Silva is their biggest starter, their tall starter. It's 6'7". And so McCormick not being too versatile and being a true big where Texas Tech really doesn't have that true big out there makes it very difficult for Kansas, especially against Texas Tech, to have McCormick on the floor. Especially when McCormick is forcing things, kind of like he was last night. He went 3 for 10, which is unacceptable. McCormick really shouldn't be taking 10 field goal attempts in a game anyway. But Bill Self kind of decided to do something that he's not used to doing, and he went zone for pretty much the whole second half. He decided, you know, Texas Tech is getting downhill, they're attacking the driving lanes, attacking the gaps, and he needed to close those and make Texas Tech, you know, get them to, get them to slow down, because Texas Tech's full of guards who, you know, want to put the ball on the floor and get downhill, especially Mac McClung, who was going early, and they slowed him down a lot down the stretch of that game. So yeah, Self decided to go zone, force Texas Tech to make make shots, basically. He went zone for most of that second half until the final couple possessions where he went man-to-man in. So yeah, that was interesting to see Kansas go zone, to see if that's something that Self wants to do more defensively with this team, or it was more just a matchup thing with Texas Tech and them being so difficult to to defend because they have four guys, sometimes five guys on the floor that can put the ball on the floor, and it makes you really tough to defend. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see going forward. Not only McCormick, but 
Christian Brown also had a tough game, and it's been more recent struggles for Brown. I mean, Brown's kind of that, he's the sharpshooter for Kansas who knocks down the three really well, but he's kind of also emerged early in the year as some guy, a guy who can who's just a scorer. He's just a pure scorer. But that slowed down of late. And so getting more production out of Brown again is huge for the success of Kansas going forward because Kansas can't be one-dimensional with Abaji being really the only guy who can get a shot when he wants. And Garrett is, you know, he's still the Big 12 preseason player of the year, but that's more for defensive reasons. He's still a good offensive player, but he's not like, he's not a guy that can go get a bucket whenever you need it. And Jalen Wilson also had a tough game. I mean, part of it too is Texas Tech just, I mean, they just disrupt. They're a scrappy bunch that plays super physical, and it's just it's just the culture that Chris Beard has developed there in Lubbock. Defensive nature, toughness, fight, that's what they do. They disrupt defensively, and it's just part of the culture, and that's just what it is at Texas Tech now. So, I mean, everyone struggles against Texas Tech to score, so you don't want to overreact about Brown having a tough game. But he has struggled more of lately, and getting production out of him is huge for Kansas. On the flip side, Texas Tech does have some encouraging things to look at. I mean, they have the number one defensive efficiency with a team that's not very big. They, they hold their own out there when they're always smaller than people. They have the number one defense efficiency in Kent Palm. So that is something very encouraging for Texas Tech because they have struggled offensively this year. But you would think the offense is only going to improve with McClung, with Kyler, with Kyler Edwards, with Micah Peavy, with Terrence Shannon, with Namari Burnett. They have a lot of guards who can score, and the shooting percentages should only go up. They get good looks. Because they're a team that has, you know, they drive, they kick. Guys are constantly getting in the paint off the dribble. They're really tough to stay in front of. So Texas Tech has been getting good looks, but they will begin to start knocking more of those good looks down. And when that happens, Texas Tech gets very dangerous because of how good they are defensively. And they can potentially be an offensive team that, you know, is dangerous as well. So... That is something that's encouraging for Texas Tech. Beyond just the basketball game itself, how about the atmosphere in Lubbock last night? I mean, that was probably the best atmosphere of the college basketball season this day. Obviously, a lot of places don't allow fans. Texas Tech being one that does. That was the atmosphere of the year to this state. All of us are just ready to fill up the stands again and you know hear the crowds roar for their home team. And that was really that was really fun and encouraging to see a great atmosphere again at Texas Tech last night, and I can't wait for more of those going forward. Later that night, after Texas Tech, uh, St. Louis had a big second half to beat NC State by 11 at home, where St. Louis is now has wins over LSU and NC State this season. St. Louis is another team like Texas Tech who doesn't have a lot of size, but their guards are similar where they're a scrappy bunch and play extremely physical. They just out-tough you, basically. St. Louis holds their own out there, holds their own on the boards, holds their own defensively. And Brandon Goodwin really showed that last night, where he, I mean, he is a guard. you got to remember that. And he had 16 points, but he had 15 rebounds. He led the team in rebounding, and he had 15 of them. Something that is very, very impressive for a guard to have. And it's not like he's... It's not like he's a big guard. It's not like he's Scotty Barnes, 6'9 six, six, out there. But no, Brandon Goodwin's probably, I don't know, 6'3, and he racked up 15 rebounds. 
And then they also have Hassan French, who is their biggest guy out there. I mean, they kind of play four out, one in with him. But French also, I mean, you see him bringing the ball up the floor sometimes off of a rebound. He's versatile. He's 6'7", 240, but he can put the ball on the floor. He moves really quick. He was a former top 100 recruit. So it makes St. Louis very interesting. And you, you already saw it. I mean, they've given NC State trouble. They've given LSU trouble. Both of those are really solid teams. And then something that people don't talk about St. Louis, I mean, they look at Brandon, they look at Brandon Goodwin. They look at Javante Perkins. They look at Hassan French. But the point guard play for St. Louis is honestly maybe the difference maker for them. Yuri Collins, a guy who doesn't really score, but he does everything for them. He's the communicator. He he's the distributor. I mean, he gets he's the flow of the team. And you see it this year. He has a 4, he has a 4.0 assist to turnover. That is phenomenal. I don't know where that ranks in the nation, but it's got to be at the top or right at the top. So, yeah, the play of Yuri Collins has been very pleasantly surprising and huge for St. Louis this year. I don't think I don't think uh Travis Ford really expected that going into the year. So yeah, huge win for St. Louis last night. Another encouraging thing that we saw outside of that game last night, but in the Seton Hall Marquette game, was Sandra Mamukelishvili is a different animal this year. You see, you see him running the point guard for Seton Hall at times. I mean, they're using him. They're like running him off ball screens. He's bringing the ball up the floor. I mean, it is really interesting to see because if Mamukelishvili is knocking down shots like he is. He is extremely tough to guard, and not many teams will be able to match up with Seton Hall when Mama Kelishvili is a wing, or a point guard at times even. So yeah, Seton Hall, big win at Marquette last night, and really encouraging for them as well. They have Bryce Aiken back now, back from injury. And we know Bryce Aiken can be an animal, as he showed that at Harvard. So Seton Hall is a team to watch going forward for sure. Looking ahead at this weekend, however, we have many big matchups, including probably the matchup of the year honestly in South Dakota where Gonzaga and Iowa play each other but we also have other big matchups this weekend and I'm going to be picking those matchups and breaking them down for you guys first off I will be looking at that Gonzaga Iowa game you got one versus three in the AP poll and a lot of people might think the best two teams in the country no disrespect to Baylor those three teams are the consensus top three in the country right now but Gonzaga, Iowa, and South Dakota. I'm going to take Gonzaga in this game. However, you're splitting hairs with these teams. They're really similar because, I mean, Iowa has the player of the year, national player of the year in Luka Garza, but Gonzaga has Drew Timmy to match up with him, who obviously is not as good of a player, but he has the same versatility, the same outside-inside ability that Garza has to match up with him. So I do like Timmy in that, like, to be able to at least contain and match up with Garza to a decent degree at least. And then, I mean, both teams are just full of guards and full of shooting. It's probably the best two offensive teams in the country going at it. It's going to be a really high, fast-paced, high-scoring, fast-paced game in South Dakota. When it comes down to it, they both have great offenses, but Iowa's 75th in defense efficiency in Ken Palm. Gonzaga's 14th. Iowa can outscore people and that's how they win that's how they'll continue to win games all year is they may be the best offense in the nation but defense will catch up to them when they play serious serious opponents like Gonzaga 
which you won't see until a Final Four likely for them or a championship game. But when it comes down to it, Iowa's defense will not be enough to hold off Gonzaga. So yeah, I like Gonzaga in this game. Next up, we got Louisville and Wisconsin and Madison, which is part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. This game was postponed, and now they rescheduled it for tomorrow to play each other. And it's a top 25 matchup, so it's a big matchup going into tomorrow. I personally think Wisconsin will win this game. I mean, home court's not a huge thing, but that is, it's a little bit. Wisconsin is home in this game. But also, I just think Wisconsin's experience and their balance will be a little too much for Louisville. Louisville hasn't been, they've played Seton Hall, they've played Western Kentucky, both solid teams, but it's it's a pretty big jump to Wisconsin, in my opinion. They haven't seen anybody quite like them yet this year. And Louisville's still young, and they haven't played together a whole lot. Whereas Wisconsin has returned everybody from the year before. They're highly experienced. And Louisville still is without uh, Malik Williams and Charles Minlin, too. So that's a thing to consider. So yeah, I like Wisconsin in this game due to their balance and just experience over Louisville. So I'll take Wisconsin and Madison. Another big matchup we got this weekend is North Carolina-Kentucky. Is That is a part of the CBS Sports Classic. The CBS Sports Classic actually rearranged the opponents. Kentucky was originally going to play UCLA. North Carolina was originally going to play Ohio State. However, they rearranged them. They said due to COVID protocols within the conferences, it made more sense for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to play each other, and then the ACC and the SEC to play each other just because the protocols matched up more closely, I guess. So yeah, now we got North Carolina-Kentucky on Saturday where Kentucky has still not played since their loss the previous Saturday to Notre Dame. So Kentucky's sitting at 1-4. and four. I think Kentucky is going to get back on track and win this game for a few reasons. North Carolina relies a lot on their front court ability, and Kentucky can match with that. They got Saar and Jackson to match up with Brooks and Baycott and the rest of the Carolina front court. So I do think Kentucky can t- contain those guys. As Olivier Saar actually might be the best player out of all those guys. No disrespect to Garrison Brooks. But it is close. Saar is an animal. And Calipari came out and said that Terrence Clark's a new point guard. And if you watch Kentucky, Kentucky has played a lot better with Terrence at the point. And the fact that Calipari's accepted that and has made the change from Askew to Clark is a huge step for Kentucky. So I, li- I like that going forward. And he also said that he's fine playing Clark, Askew, and Mintz all together. And he said he's not only fine with that, but that he's he's going to do that. And Kentucky has looked good with that lineup. So that's exciting for Kentucky fans, I think. Cal Perry's making the changes that are needed for them. And you saw you saw a new identity for Kentucky last Saturday in the second half. They They found an identity pressuring the ball and that they can win games defensively. So I expect for them to bring out the same pressure they did in the second half on Saturday, taking people for full court on makes, on dead balls. I expect Kentucky to bring that same intensity and build off that second half and ultimately beat Carolina on Saturday. In the last matchup I'll be touching on this weekend is a big matchup in the Big East on Sunday, Creighton-UConn, UConn's first game in the Big East. UConn also hasn't played since December 3rd, so it's been a while for those guys. UConn's obviously a much improved team. James Booknight is one of the best guards in the country. And 
Danny Hurley appears to have them on the right path right now. However, I'll still take Creighton in this game. Creighton uh, yesterday against St. John's looked much improved since the loss to Marquette. They showed the intensity defensively that they needed to improve on, and they held St. John's to a pretty low number, which was a good sign for them. As St. John's is a team that plays fast and has honestly scored at a pretty efficient rate this year. So that was encouraging for, for Creighton. And so I think Creighton, due to the fact that they're battle-tested and they've been playing games recently, I mean, it'll be 16 days since, or it'll be 17 days since UConn has played a game once they play on Sunday. So I think that'll make a big impact on the result, and UConn might be a little sluggish in their first game back. So, yeah, I like Creighton and their offensive firepower to ultimately pull off the win at UConn on Sunday. With that being said, that'll be the conclusion of the College Hoops Mania podcast. I hope everybody has a good weekend watching football, big conference football championships, and the big College Hoops matchups that I touched on. Gonzaga will be a great one. It'll be a super exciting game in South Dakota. So I hope you all have a great weekend, and I'll be back with you guys soon. See ya.